Colorado is ranked in the Associated Press's top 25 for the first time since December of 2020. You listen to the show. You know that I was high on Colorado. I'm going to tell you why. Let's go. It's the number one college football show. What's up, folk? Welcome to the number one college football show. I am your host, RJ Young. I am not on a step mill. Thank you for watching wherever you get your podcast, the Fox Sports app, YouTube. Again, we're all over. You should rate and review the podcast if you're listening on the audio version. Today on the show, I want to go through the Associated Press's week two, top 25, and then I want to compare it to my week two, top 25. Probably going to spend a lot of time talking about Colorado, Florida State, LSU, even Duke, my goodness, I got to talk about Duke football in September. How's that for a change in 2023? And we're going to preview some of the biggest games of the weekend, including Texas and Alabama and Colorado on big noon opening at home against Nebraska. So let's go back to the top and let's not actually stand on ceremony. Yes, Colorado, number 22. In the Associated Press polls top 25, and as I had mentioned, it's their first time appearing in the AP top 25 since December 6th, 2020. That is phenomenal, and frankly, what I expected after what Colorado did at Texas Christian, getting a road win, getting a road win against an AP top 25 team, and being so good that not only did they get ranked, but you can see Texas Christian is not here right we'll talk about why they are in my top 25 when we get there but i think it's important to remember that what shador sanders has done is kind of unprecedented because it's not just that he threw for 510 yards it's that he did it against a quality top 25 opponent i need to stress that part we've seen guys go for four bills in week one openers it happened actually about five times this week right what we did not see them do was go for five bills against a top 25 opponent the point that I would raise on this one is Caleb Williams has thrown for 597 yards over two weeks of football against opponents that are not ranked in the top 25. He has the Heisman Trophy. Shadour Sanders did this against a Texas Christian team that finished national title runner up last year and started the season as one of the 25 best teams in our sport. Not something to, uh, to actually sneeze at, right? And that's before we talk about what Travis Hunter did which is something nobody has done in the last 20 years of the sport, have over 100 yards receiving with a TD and an interception, playing both ways. I talked to a number of people about his NFL prospects, but the thing for you to remember is that he's a true sophomore, meaning the NFL has to keep his hands off of him for the next two years. Meanwhile, Shador Sanders edging toward first-round draft pick consideration already. And we got lots of folks that are coming around to the show for the first time. I'd like to welcome you. We, we love it here. It's family. You McKinfo, right? You listen to the show because we've been in on what Colorado has done from the very beginning. I mean, I had them ranked in my way too early top 25 in January, again, in my way too early spring in March, again, in my post spring in May, in my preseason in August, and now the Associated Press and frankly, the rest of the sporting world has caught up to what kind of a change agent one coach prime is and then you know at the top here florida state edges into the college football playoff spot off of a win against lsu 45 to 24. i thought that they played phenomenally in the second half right 31 unanswered points before 
LSU found a way to get into the end zone. But I'm not sure that they're a top four team. And I'll talk about why as we get into my rankings. But I wanted to cite them there because that is a huge leap up against what was a top five opponent, according to the AP voters. But I'm going to go ahead and tell you, the AP voters have LSU at number 14. Guess where I had LSU in my preseason rankings? Number 14. Guess where I have them in my week two rankings? Number 14. Okay. Okay. All right. We'll talk a bit more as we get into my rankings about why that is and why I felt like I was justified and saw something like that coming. I just, nobody saw a 21 point loss for LSU coming. I thought it was going to be a tight game like it was the year before last with Florida State winning it. By the way, I'm 6 and 0 in picks so far, right? I'm just going to throw that out there. But we also have seen really, I thought, I thought we would see a little bit more movement in the top 25, but not so much that Alabama would be number three and Florida State be number four. And Ohio State would get docked for a 20-point win against Indiana. Again, win rankings, right? But I have a hard time docking people for winning. I want to reward people for winning. I want to reward people for playing tough opponents, right? Texas Christian, LSU, you played a tough opponent in your week one. I don't feel like your rankings should be that affected by a loss, especially in the case of Texas Christian when it was a close loss. And when you look at statistics and how the game played out for LSU, it's actually a tighter game to me than I think others might think. Other teams to cite here, North Carolina moves to 17 off of a win against South Carolina. And we're looking at Clemson, who is at number 25 after beginning the preseason at number nine. And you'll see in the AP ranking at 21, the team that beat them, that throttled them, frankly, in Duke. I say throttled them. But that game was weird. Uh, Dabo Sweeney has been taken out of context. Look at me defending Dabo Sweeney. When he said, look, I've never been a part of a game like that in my entire coaching career. And immediately people thought he was talking about a losing effort like that, like they were embarrassed. And no, it was weird. It was really weird. Now, Duke beat them straight up. Great defense and great individual play from Riley Leonard, who I think had like 273 total yards, 98 on the ground, 12 rushes. But Again, I saw a Clemson team that just had some miscues that I've never seen before, right? Cade Klubnik, Klubnik, excuse me, played the worst game that I've ever seen him play, period. Certainly the worst game that he's ever played in college. And this is a guy who we knew about, right? This is not an unknown commodity. This is a man who came off the bench in the ACC title game and ended up with the ACC title game MVP. He is the reason they won 10 games. He is the reason they made the Orange Bowl. So we all thought adding a Garrett Riley to just what was not necessarily a bad offense, but an offense that wasn't scoring 40 a game like we come to see in the Trevor Lawrence era would make them better. And I thought maybe that would show against Duke. I don't think anybody saw Duke upsetting Clemson. I'm being very, very honest about that because there's a lot of stuff I see coming based on analysis, based on tradition, based on what the past can inform about the future is why I'm such a history buff. Is I want to maintain what we do in the present. I want to know why we're doing it now based on what we did in the past. But nothing about Duke should have led me to believe that they were going to upset Clemson except one fact. Duke won nine games last year when it feels like nobody was looking. They went nine and four while LSU went 10 and four. You'll see now in the rankings, there's not that much distance between them, 21 and 14, because that's the margins here, right? As much as we want to look at the scoreboard, one of the things that folks that 
well, or on the comments of the YouTube channel and leave reviews on the podcast is, hey, did you watch the games? Because if you look at the scoreboard, it'll tell you a different story than the one that you watched. And I think in both cases, LSU and Duke weren't outclassed. They had some miscues that really just did not go their way. And frankly, it's a game of who made the fewest mistakes as much as it's a game about who capitalized on the mistakes that were made. And Duke is another example of that. Very excited to see what they can do the rest of the way because they got they got everybody coming to them this year, right? Like they get Notre Dame coming to them this year. That's going to be a lot of fun. You know, we'll see just what that means in an ACC without divisions where for the first time in its history or since it went to divisions, I should say, we are going to see possibly Florida State play Clemson or even Clemson play Duke again. It's all on the table right now after week one. Yes, nobody is out of the college football playoff unless I go looking at history about where people were ranked. And we can say it's never happened before. But right now, it's really difficult to say that anybody can't make the college football playoff because anybody has. We've seen a G5 team get an invite, and we've seen teams that did not even play in their conference title games get an invite. So it's all there for everybody. It's just about how does the selection committee feel about you? And that's why we care about these rankings so early. I understand people that are saying that, you know, we shouldn't be ranking people before November. And I'm saying, yeah, but some of us are. I'm going to. And you don't want me to be the only person ranking people, right? And as long as we're going to rank people, we're also going to rank them with what can we expect with the college football playoff selection committee looking to take up this baton and carry it all the way to December following those conference title games. And I think the top 25 still does a really good job of getting us in a rhythm for what it is that we want to see out of those four teams selected for the college football playoff because that's what it's about. Which four teams do we want to see play against each other or play each other again? So let's go from the Associated Press Week 2 Top 25 to my Week 2 Top 25, and let's take a look at who moved around, right? You'll know that I'm on the Colorado hype train, but I'm not going to overreact to them beating a team that I ranked at number 15 in Texas Christian in my preseason poll. That was a ranked matchup for me, and it went down about the way that I thought it would go down, which is close scoring. I didn't think that you were going to see 87 points scored, and I'm sure both of those head coaches weren't in on that, but it was tight. And from the moment that Colorado took offensive possession of the ball and went down and got a score, everybody was made to understand not just that Colorado is for real. We've known that, or at least I've known that. It's that they have the talent and the depth to go at top 25 programs and get Ws, right? That was what we learned most about them is they can do it on both sides of the ball. Yes, they have some things they got to clean up. That run defense is still a bugaboo. You can't give up 164 rush yards on 14 rushes to one man and expect to keep winning football games, right? That defensive line, that front seven, they got some work to do. Charles Kelly's got to get that right. Their special teams might lose them some games this year that they would have otherwise won if they don't clean that up. But that's also about just how deep you are. You'd go deep on the defensive side of the ball, you're probably going to have more defensive side guys playing special teams same thing with offense but the thing about playing offensive guys on special teams is not all those offensive guys like to go hit people and that's also special teams oriented it's guys that want to go hit people it's called suicide squad for a reason you are running down to try to hurt people you're trying to put them on the ground that's not necessarily what an offensive man wants to do so i could see them trying to get a little bit more of that d that you see on travis hunter's chest that dog into that special teams. And if they do that, they got a shot here. I'm also going to go ahead and reference Duke being at number 22 for me, 21, right? For the Associated Press poll. We basically agree about that. But I got Texas Christian at 23 after their loss 
to Colorado, whereas the AP poll has them out. Again, it was a top 25 matchup for me, and I don't want to dock Texas Christian, who played a really great football game, for losing by three and basically forcing it into the last five minutes of the game and forcing Colorado to get a stop to stop them going down and tying the game, right? That we're talking about a Texas Christian team that was good last year and has a lot of the parts that made them good this year. I understand that people want to put probably more on guys that played last year, particularly Max Duggan, than I think they're really capable of carrying, right? I'm looking at Quentin Johnson. I'm going, what's the big difference between him and Savion Williams this year? Not a whole hell of a lot, right? It's about guys like Jared Wiley who are going to make them good. It's almost like people forgot about that. And because Joe Gillespie's defense gave up 45 to an offensive dynamo who's got an outstanding shot caller in Sean Lewis, people are down on Texas Christian in a three-man front. Fine, right? I think Texas Christian is going to be a good football team. It wouldn't surprise me if they win eight or nine games this year. Or if they end up in the Big 12 title game, I think they're pretty good. Clemson's at 24 for me. Is that a 25, right? This was some moving and some shaking that – really kept me up a little bit longer than I wanted to be after it was very clear that Duke was going to run away with this football game. But I remember watching this game and looking at all the drives that Clemson did not finish. And I was texting with producer Tyler about this going, it's not that they're bad. It's that they made mistakes that you just don't see them make. Bill Moffa fumbling the football like on the goal line and then Duke running it back. Hey, Klubnik looking like he didn't know what the play call was, fumbling the snap inside the red zone. We're talking about 11-yard, 11-play uh, drives, right? 18-play drives that did not end in points. We're talking about a kicker that Davo felt really good about telling people about, who might have been the most talented, might still be the most talented kicker that has ever been at Clemson, getting two kicks blocked, right? Like it's a, Nothing would go right for Clemson in that game against Duke, and credit to Duke. Mike Elko had those guys believing in what I think is really an interesting message to be relaying right now, which is that he plans to win right now at Duke. Now, there are a lot of ways to go down. But when Duke nukes you in football as a top 10 opponent, I don't know how you come back from that. Like, that is the ultimate we hate them basketball school showing up 46 days before Basketball season starts to claim the ACC title, the ACC champions belt from them, from their cold, dead bodies. We had Dukies rush the field on Clemson and didn't nobody say, why are they rushing the field? Everybody understood, right? That's where Clemson is right now. But it's also, that's terrifying Clemson for me. Because now Dabo gets to point at everybody and say, they think you suck. They think you're bad. They think that you're not going to win 10 games for a 13th consecutive year. Goodness me. And now they're going to be on the warpath. And they got a dude in Garrett Riley who still knows how to call plays and is going to take a lot of learns from what they were doing well, particularly the two-back sets. And Wes Goodwin, who's going to learn, hey, look, I can't let my linebackers get stretched out like this. Barrett Carter and Jeremiah Trotter were out in coverage way more than you want them to be. You want those guys coming downhill to stuff the run. And again, we're talking about Duke who watched the tape and put their guys into positions to succeed. And Riley Leonard, who all shucks attitude 
ends up rumbling, bumbling, stumbling 44 yards for a TE, absolutely playing the position the way that every college football quarterback wants to play the position, right? I get to run it. I get to throw it. It's basically him playing NCAA against Clemson, which was a lot of fun. But this gets me back to Texas Christian and what they were doing, why they lost that game, and I still have them ranked, or why I don't overreact with Colorado being ranked at number nine, or 18 for me. So let's take a look at Florida State LSU, given that thought. I had LSU at number 14. I guess I have them 13 this year because, again, Duke shuffled. So number 13, excuse me, this week and 14 last week. Okay. I had Florida State as a top 10 team, but not a top four team. And I didn't want to overreact to them beating a team that I did not think was a top five team by any stretch. Right. So they get a win against a good LSU team in what is a neutral field, but it's in Orlando, Florida, right? And you're Florida State and they're LSU. I, I got a hard time with that one, being neutral, right? But I also saw a game in which there was a moment when I wouldn't have trusted Jordan Travis to cook my grits. Hell, if Keon Coleman didn't show up, I don't think that I would have trusted Jordan Travis to lay the table. You know, you know what I'm saying? Like that first quarter, seven penalties in the first quarter? It looked like Jordan was trying to throw the football to the other team from time to time. He was running around for his life, not necessarily because he wanted to. When Trey Benson was working, they didn't keep feeding him the rock. I saw drop after drop after drop from guys that I'm not used to seeing drop the football. Jaheim Bell and Johnny Wilson in particular. I saw them get fourth down stops against LSU inside the red zone. I... I I did not expect that. I also saw them gave up 347 yards passing and 100 yards rushing. All right? If they did not come alive, I should say if Keon Coleman did not come alive, we're probably talking about a different scoreboard here, and we're talking about a much closer game. So I'm not in on Florida State being the fourth best team in college football. Not yet, right? They can still get there for me, but I didn't want to overreact to this. I also wanted to give LSU its due. And that LSU was playing without Mason Smith, right? And we're also talking about an LSU that was still trying to figure out what to do with Harold Perkins. I think they're overthinking this. Don't, don't have that dude doing everything. Have that dude rushing the passer. That's what he did great last year. I get that everybody wants to develop a full-time linebacker and whatnot. But if that dude's elite at getting into the backfield, just let that dude get into the backfield. Let's not make this difficult, right? I think the LSU is going to be a good football team, but are they the best team in the SEC West? Clearly, I don't think so, and neither does the AP. We both think that that's Alabama, and we're going to stick to that. Another thing to, to note here, as we talk about those four teams, Colorado, Texas, Christian, LSU, and Florida State, is I took a look at the 247 sports composite, all right, which uh, – talent composite, which ranks these teams on their rosters according to how many four-star, five-stars they have, regardless of classification. Right. It's a really great way to find out who's the most talented year to year at number 20 on that ranking is Florida State, the number four team in the country, according to the AP. Right. At number 19 on that same list is Texas Christian, a team that I ranked that the AP does not think is a top 25 team anyway, even though they've got more talent on the roster, empirical data than Florida State. Number seven on that same talent composite is LSU. And number, number 22 on that thing is Nebraska. So, like, 
we're looking around and we're saying, okay, do you have the talent? Check. Do you have the coaching? Maybe, right? And do your kids think that they're supposed to win? And this is kind of the Michigan of it all for me because Michigan is number 14 on the talent composite. And it doesn't seem to matter for them that they are not one of the five, four most talented teams in the sport. They play for each other. And we're making fun of Jim Harbaugh for saying things like we fence, but they know who they are. They run to their identity and they love it when people make fun of them because they get to rally around each other. I'm done doubting Michigan. Like I, I got into that trap last year based on much of the same sort of analysis that I would use for anybody else. Right. And it just doesn't matter in Ann Arbor. They're going to do what they're going to do. And I'm just going to watch them and say, no, it's a good football team. That's what I'm going to do. So to round this part up with the talent composite, Colorado beat a more talented team than the team that FSU is, right? And they beat a more talented team than the AP thinks they are. So let me round this out. If you are still wondering if Colorado is good, you shouldn't be. If you're still wondering if Florida State is good, eh, maybe. Are they, if we're talking about a top 14, right? You should still wonder. If we're talking about is LSU good, yes, they're good. They're fine. If you're wondering if Texas Christian is bad, they're not. They're good. But that's what makes the sport kind of fun. And after week one, we're going to react. People do these shows called overreaction shows. I'm like, what else is there to react to? Like, what are we doing here? Like, are we making fun of each other because we want to talk about the sport after one week of football? Hell, I don't want to talk about the sport after one week of football because that's all we got to talk about. It ain't like we got 10 weeks of regular season football to talk through here. And when we do, we'll react to that too. And you know what? It's not going to matter to many people. Yeah, Clemson lost to Duke the way that they did after week one if Clemson reels off 10 in a row. People are going to say that's a different football team. That team doesn't exist anymore. And we're going to pull our hair out as we try to figure out who the four best teams in the sport are. All I'm asking is some consistency. I get that the sport is irrational on its face. And I get that we as fans only care about our one damn team. So much so that we're thinking about is Ryan Day the guy as he wins 47 games and loses six? <laughs> Stupid. But that's what it is, right? I just want you to keep something like a level head about some of it and get excited for things that it's easy to get excited for, like Colorado and like Duke. I want to put this Duke point in front of you. 14 games as Duke's head coach, Mike Elko has already led the Blue Devils to their third nine-win season since 1941, right? So, my goodness. Their first win over Clemson since 2004. That was Monday night. Their first top 10 win since Steve Spurrier was head coach at Duke in 1989 and their first multi-touchdown victory over a top 10 opponent since 1952. Holy smokes, man. So much has changed in that time that we got to talk about Duke being a blessed God, good football team, all right? Last thing I want to point out here is North Carolina in my top, it wasn't in my top 25. South Carolina was in that spot. They beat uh, South Carolina pretty soundly. I was more impressed with what North Carolina did defensively than I was with what Drake May did offensively, which ought to be terrifying for ACC fans because North, North Carolina's defense was the thing that I didn't know about. And this is the reason I didn't rank them in the preseason. Whereas South Carolina, you beat Tennessee, you beat Clemson, you return to a bunch of those parts, even as you lose Marshawn Lloyd to USC and Jaheim Bell to Florida State. I felt good about that, right? And then you go and you soundly beat up on South Carolina. Okay, 
you're here now because Drake May is going to have 300, 400 yard passing performances and he's going to put himself out there as one of the best players in the sport once again. And shout out to Mac Brown, who became the first coach in history to win 100 games at two different programs, Texas and now North Carolina. Man is already in the College Football Hall of Fame. I don't know how many more flowers we're going to be able to give Mac Brown. I mean, after you beat up on SC in 2005, Mac Brown could never like he could do nothing else, and I still think he's one of the better coaches to ever coach in this sport. And now we have this to go on. That's pretty outstanding. All right, let's go from analysis of the AP top 25 and my top 25 to looking toward some of the biggest games of this week two slate. At the top for me, Nebraska at Colorado for Coach Prime's home opener. We've been looking forward to this game for some time. Not, not I mean, not to put too find a point on it but since they sold out their season tickets at Colorado in April everybody circled this because Nebraska travels right no matter how good or bad Nebraska is Nebraska is going to be out there in force and they lost the game against Minnesota that they had right there to win right they basically did some version of what Clemson did against Duke and what LSU did against Florida State and they made too many mistakes that their opponents were able to capitalize on Quite frankly, some outstanding plays by Tyler Newbin in that game as well. But I'm going to put it this way. Coach Prime is 24-3 and three over his last two years as a head coach. And now that he's got this win against a top 25 opponent, we have people that want to say TCU is bad rather than, yo, man, ain't Coach Prime just really good at this, this head coaching thing? Because the thing that you should probably take from him is there's no play card in his hands. He is not in the quarterback's ear, not any more than he would be in his son's, I guess. He's not in the defensive coordinator's ear. He is coaching coaches. And those men want to work for him. Charles Kelly wants to work for him. Sean Lewis wants to work for him. And you could see it in how the players are operating because they came into this thing expecting to win. They came into this thinking, we are one of the best teams in the sport, and we get an opportunity to prove it on Big Noon and for a second straight week. They get to do that against Nebraska. I also reminded that it didn't start out as brilliantly as you might have thought it would have going undefeated at Jackson State, but that was ridiculous to think because we got levels to this in the HBCU community too. But Jackson State, spring football 2021, they get off to a roaring start. They beat up on Ed, uh, Ed and Waters, and everybody wants to make a big deal out of that, even though Waters ain't never been that real good at football. But the game that showed me who Jackson State and, frankly, Coach Prime is, is their loss, their first one, for his first ever loss as a head coach, to Alabama State. In that game, former USFL running back Ezra Gray went for 194 yards on the ground, like absolutely ate up that defense. That sounds familiar. It's because it is. When teams have been able to beat up on Jackson State were even beat them. They've been able to run the football, which is what Texas Christian was able to do and what Nebraska should do on Saturday to give themselves a shot. But the director of player personnel for the USFL is a magnificent man named Jim Pop. And Coach Pop was assistant head coach and running backs coach at Alabama State when Coach Prime and Jalen Jones and Jackson State played against them. So he got to see up close what it was like to not just play against Prime, but the effect that Prime had on his players and on his coaches. And that's all. It's about being able to motivate. It's about 
reaching into somebody and saying, I know you have more. It's about bringing this legendary work ethic that he has to bear on the program. Like, I think that also gets in the way here because I, I was really getting in my feelings about why are so many people ready to dislike a program that's so much fun and a coach that is the most fun to hear talk in the sport. We beg people to have things to say that are interesting in the sport. And prime does prime said that his kid should have the hype. His kid, Travis Hunter should have the Heisman at a halftime in a game that was tight. Like it was like, Hey, he catch two footballs. The Heisman's at his crib. What would we give to have more coaches like that? So he's bringing that energy with him, but that's also earned, right? Anybody that's ever played with prime will tell you the same story. Nobody worked harder than him. His confidence came from, no, I have this. I can do this backward. I can do this in my sleep because he doesn't actually go on the, the YouTubes, on the tweets, even if there was a time, I don't think he would, to tell people how hard he was working. The magic is you believing that he woke up and was just doing this. That's what is the energy around this, right? It's You don't want to know about the labor pains. You just want to see the baby. And Coach Prime can show up with the baby. The rest of us are actually in there going, I wonder how long it took him to do this. Uh, nine months, you know, how long it takes to baby, you know, so forth, so on. The right nutrition, the night diet, getting your sleep, right? Satisfying these urges for pickles at 3 a.m. in the morning. All these things that go into making one of us, right? He's doing that at Colorado. And Nebraska, Matt Rule, is trying to do the same. It's kind of interesting that both of these guys got these jobs because they're outstanding change agents. They just go about it differently. And they're on different timelines. It's not lost on Nebraska fans that at his first stop at Temple, his first season at Temple, Matt Rule lost his first six games. And then at Baylor, lost his first eight games. It takes a little bit longer for him to build the thing. Now, at Temple, there's no transfer portal, right? It's not the case at Baylor, right? However, we've learned more things about how you can go into and get players out of the portal now to get good right away. I've cited Colorado. I'll also cite Texas Christian. I'll also cite USC as a way to do this. Even Michigan got better on the offensive line because they got seven guys in the same class that might all get drafted next year on that line. So you have a guy that knows how to recruit out of the portal. You have a guy that knows how to coach coaches. And you have a guy that is going to make sure that his players earn the confidence they have. Right? And then you have a game plan for that. So it's not just that Travis Hunter plays damn near 130 snaps, if not more. It's that the man was dancing in the locker room afterward. He basically played the equivalent of four football games. And he was dancing in the locker room saying, I got a lot of mo. Shout out to strength and conditioning coach Mo Sims who had those dudes off all offseason and handed them back to prime hungry and growling. Now, for those of you that don't know Mo Sims, you also didn't do your homework on Colorado. That's okay, right? It's Mo Sims, who was associate strength and conditioning coach at Georgia in 2021 when they won a national championship and then went to Jackson State with prime and then followed him to Colorado. These dudes on this staff know what they are doing. And that means that Prime is a really great evaluator of people. So if he feels like he's calling people out, probably got something to stand on when he does, right? And he, like I, get down the way the account of Monte Cristo gets down, which is we keep our receipts. So in this game, I'm going to pick Colorado, right? But I'm going to add here, if Jeff Sims does not turn the ball over, if he can find Marcus Washington out in patterns, and if Gabe Irvin and Anthony Grant can run the ball effectively for 200 yards between them, probably looking at a dogfight, right? 
I think Nebraska can get it together this year. Just don't think they're going to do it in week two against Colorado. Meanwhile, we got people that are already circling Oregon and USC on the schedule for Colorado. Please do, right? Because I'm here for it. I can't wait to see these personalities. I can't wait to see these good football teams. That's what I'm here to talk about. That's what I'm here to do. Next on the week two docket for us, really looking forward to Texas at Alabama. Now, this could be a game for the college, for a college football playoff spot, right? Because I think it kind of sort of could have been last year, depending on how things go with Texas. But I've said all offseason that Texas beats Alabama last year if Quinn Ewers was healthy for the entire game. We are all hoping that Quinn Ewers is healthy for the entire game against Alabama this year, but this game is not on the 40 acres. It's at Bryant-Denny. It's why you're already seeing the Alabama's favored. But somebody better call Robert J. Oppenheimer because these boys from Texas are a problem. Okay, Tavondre Sweat, Malik Muhammad, David Benda, Jalen Catalan, Anthony Hill, Jalen Ford, all dudes, all dudes. I watched them play against Rice, and they're flying around. They're shooting gaps. Jalen Ford already has an interception this year. He's the best player on that defense. Benda had six tackles in that game. Malik Muhammad absolutely showing out, and I've thought the world of Jalen Catalan since he was at Arkansas before the transfer, but they also got Xavier Worthy, who reminds me more of Brandon Cooks than anybody that I've seen in a very long time. He's a buck 70, but he don't play like that, right? Same thing is about Brandon Cooks when he's at Oregon State. He's short, but he don't play like that. He big bodies people and he goes and gets football and he's ready to fight. Quinn Ewers has a laser sight on that cannon. That was really interesting to see against Rice too, is not just that he could throw it deep, but he could put it where he wanted to down the field. That's why he was a former number one overall recruit jt sanders jordan whittington ad mitchell they complete that fighter jet you know dagger attack steve sarkeesian dressing that look up whipping a windsor tie on it button down the jacket only to launch into a good old-fashioned iso counter and sweep dialing up basically from the carrier send them right like it's a really fun attack to watch go out and then kelvin banks anchors that line where he might be the most talented offensive lineman in the sport Gave up one sack as a true freshman last year, which is ridiculous, and he's only getting better this year. Jonathan Brooks, Keelan Robinson, Jaden Blue, and C.J. Baxter, all back there on alert five, ready to go. They go deep at that tailback position. I'm excited about Texas, right? Alabama, on the other hand, are going back to some of their 2013-2012 roots, even 2015-2016, depending on how you want to view Jalen Hurts at Alabama. But somebody better call the Russian Empress Catherine II because these Alabama boys out here looking to be great. Okay? Deontay Lawson flying around the football. Caleb Downs solving Rubik's Cubes inside of three minutes and playing safety at Alabama. Terrian Arnold, Jalen Key, all dudes in that uh, secondary that I think can absolutely play. Dallas Turner might be the best pass rusher in the sport, depending on how you feel about Jared Verse. Probably one of those two guys that you're talking about. And then offensively, that was the story. Right, We got two new coordinators, but Nick Saban in a defense is Nick Saban in a defense. Don't care that Kevin Steele is defense coordinator. Offensively, you lose Bill O'Brien uh, Bill, Bill excuse me, and you go get Tommy Reese from Notre Dame, and the thought was you're going to run the ball in a more pro-style set. Not necessarily, but you are going to run the ball. Right. One of the things that was interesting in seeing Jalen Milrow get the start is they're out there in shotgun, but they're out there with two tight ends in the shotgun, and the light bulb went on for me. Because two tight ends and shotgun get you a light box, right, where you can fold it in to two extra blockers so your five becomes seven, right, or even can become eight because they'll run Jalen Milrow 
as the quarterback and the extra man. That's really fun to watch. And I, I watched every bit of that Middle Tennessee game so I could give you this insight. And they go four deep at the running back rotation with Jace McClellan, Roydale Williams, Jam Miller, and Richard Young in that game. But the thing that really struck me was they played three quarterbacks, right? Garbage time in the second half, but they played three quarterbacks. Every one of them, Jalen Milrow, Tyler Buckner, and Ty Simpson scored a rushing touchdown. They are going to try to run the ball in light boxes and limit your drives. You're not going to see a whole bunch of high-scoring games from Alabama this year because that's not how they're built. They are built to take advantage of the ball when they have it by pounding on people and to do what they would normally do defensively, which means that their defense is probably going to play fewer snaps than it has in recent years because they're not going to score as quickly as they're used to scoring. They'll have explosive plays, but you're not going to see the kind of 2017 offense, 2018 offense, 2019 offense, even 2020 offense that we're used to seeing. They don't have Jalen Waddle out there or Devontae Smith or taking it all the way back, right, to that 2017 squad of just outstanding wide receivers and Tua Tonga below and Jalen Hurts didn't matter who was a quarterback. Somebody was coming down with the rock wearing that crimson tie color. So I'm interested to see how many opportunities Texas gets offensively against a team that's going to try to play keep away because that's their identity now, right? Jalen Milrow is getting compared to Jalen Hurts. I kind of, I see it because he's big and he's strong and he's muscular and he can run. But the thing he has that Jalen did not is a cannon for an arm. The difference is he's not as accurate as Jalen was. He will be, I think. I, I think Tyler, uh, Tyler, I think Tommy Reese can help him with that. Uh, Tyler Wojak is a Notre Dame alumnus, and he's my producer, so it pops into my head every time I think about Tommy Reese. However, I think Tommy Reese is going to help them with that. And I think even when Jalen is bad, meaning fumbling the football, right, you still rather have him out there than the other guy. And I was also struck by just how little Tyler Buckner has played college football, let alone football, in the last four years because he didn't really get to play his senior year of high school and then some spot duty and then injuries, right? We're talking about a guy that really hasn't gotten uh, to found a rhythm. And then Ty Simpson was recruited at a time when the offense was geared toward throwing the ball down the field and not necessarily taking advantage of the quarterback's ability to run, right? Running to throw is what you might say they were doing at, well, when Tua Tagovailoa was there, even Bryce Young, but certainly not Mac Jones, right? Mac Jones is back there to throw passes. You know what I'm saying? I'm going to pick Texas to win against Alabama. I think that they are talented enough to go into Bryant-Denny and get a win. I like Quinn Ewers in year two. He's lost so much weight. He was at 218 last year. He's at a buck 95. He's clean shaven. He looks like a Texas Longhorns quarterback. You can take that any way you want to. <laughs> but he looks like he's ready to go and get them a W. Feels like they're ready for this moment now. And I love that we're going to see Jalen Milrow and Quinn Ewers going against each other because those are two dudes from the state of Texas that were both recruited to play at Texas. Even Jalen Milrow committed to Texas before eventually decommitting and going to Alabama ought to be a lot of fun. Let's go to another Texas quarterback because he plays at Texas Tech. Tyler Shuck is going to get to play against his old team, the University of Oregon. It's the last game we need to talk about, Oregon-Texas Tech. So I did not expect Oregon to be as great as they were against Portland State. I understand it's Portland State, but I still, I wanted to say, I, Monique Voice, I would like to see it. And I did, right? I got a text from Jeff Schwartz, who does a podcast with Chris Felica, uh, a gambling podcast that just came out. You should go check it out. They're a lot of fun. Jeff is a lot of fun. He's on the show a lot last year, but he's also an Oregon alumnus. And he said it's a great day to drop 100 on 
Portland State. And I'm thinking, all right, but stop at 72 because Oklahoma at that point had scored 73 on Arkansas State. And they put up 81, man. They put up 81 points. Huddles, the, the duck mascot famously did 546 push-ups because he does push-ups after they score. And they put up 729 yards of offense. Bo Nix was operating Will Stein's offense like he's been in it since the Obama administration because he kind of has, not in the offense, but he's been playing football that long. Oregon's Bo Nix has, he's got to start his 49th game on Saturday against Texas Tech. Bo, I love you. You did the show. You married a lady whose last name is Smoke, so it's right there. But cash in that IRA, okay? Siphon that 401k, all right? Buy back the family farm. <laughs> they play at football forever. Jordan James and Bucky Irving are outstanding in that tailback room. <laughs> Bucky Irving averaged 20, what is it, 29.8 yards per carry against Portland State. And yes, he carried the ball more than twice. <laughs> Troy Franklin's finally being used the way that he should be, right? He's actually being used like Oregon's best skilled player. That ought to terrify everybody. Now that Troy Franklin's juice has been unlocked, and he can get that at upper level where your mind, body, and soul must be one. Yeah, I'm all in on what Oregon can be. It's one of the three best teams in the Pac-12 already. What they're fighting about is being one of the two to get into the Pac-12 championship. Tight end Patrick Herbert, that is Justin Herbert's little brother, is going to find himself butt-naked open a lot simply because of the sort of offense that they're running and people are just going to forget the tight ends just out there in the flat, able to catch some passes. And oh yeah, they added USC wide receiver Gary Bryant to the mix. Very excited about them. Tech def uh, defensive coordinator Tim DeRuiter is going to have his hands full, but they got guys, got more pirates than one piece. You know, Miles Price out there doing the damn thing. I think Tyler Shuck is good. Put it another way, Tyler Shuck threw the ball as much as Shadour Sanders did against Texas Christian, but was a ho-hum 31 of 47 for 338 with three TDs and a pick. That's an outstanding line. And then I looked at the other guy that was 38 of 47 for 5'10 with four TDs. <laughs> Come on, man. Remember, Tyler Shuck led Oregon to a Fiesta Bowl appearance, right? I know it's COVID year, but, but damn. You know, we, if you're not on the Shador Sanders train, you should be now. And frankly, it's going to come down to Tyler Shuck being great against Oregon. They had a devastating loss against Wyoming on the road over the weekend. I watched every bit of that, too. They're, they're up 17 to 0 after the first quarter. And they managed to lose this game 35-33 in double overtime, mostly because they couldn't take care of the football and they couldn't get stops. The offensive line is still needing some work, right? They, Wyoming's pass rush got to Tyler Shuck three times. If Wyoming's pass rush can get three sacks to Tyler Shuck, what do you think Dan Lanning's pass rush at Oregon is going to do, right? You have some work here. You're going to have to get the ball out in space and get it out quickly if you expect to try to get a win. But I don't think that Texas Tech's going to get it done this weekend. I'm picking Oregon to win this game against Texas Tech. I love what Dan Lanning has done since he got to Oregon. He took a 49-3 loss to the eventual national champion and flipped it on its head almost immediately. That's a team that won 11 games last year while nobody was looking. They look like a team that can win 11 games this year. They look like a team that can win the Pac-12 championship this year. And they look like a team who's operating like they should make the college football playoff for the second time, right? Like we're really in on what the Pac-12 is doing after going 13-0 and with their week one slate just in time to blow up the conference. It's an exciting week, right? We're all here for week two of the college football playoff, but I'm going to do this on the way out. For the Colorado folks, 
who understand the step mill days and what it was like for us over here when I say it's so hard for us to sit out here in this studio listening to a guy out there hollering our name when last year we spent more liquor over spilled juice than everybody in this room you talking to the Rolex wearing diamond ring wearing kiss stealing woo, wheeling dealing limousine riding jet flying son of a gun and I'm having a hard time holding these alligators down woo little Ric Flair little Ric Flair on the way out Somebody's going to find that YouTube video from Oklahoma State years ago, and they're going to post it. And I'm going to retweet it because you never forget where you come from. Having a great time doing this show at Fox Sports. Reminds me, please hit up Apple, hit up Spotify, hit up wherever it is that you get your podcast. Rate the show. Leave us a five-star review. Try to get us over 200 reviews going into the weekend. That would be nice. If for no other reason than Colorado was ranked here before it was ranked anywhere else. All right. That's going to do it for this episode of the number one college football show. We're going to be live Saturday night following Texas, Alabama. So be here around about 10 o'clock central standard time. And we'll talk about and react to the day of college football. Our lead producer is Tyler Wojak. Our senior producer is Catherine Donnelly. Production assistant is Kara Santana. Our social media maven is Javion Duncan. Our lead of screening are Jack Coakley and Torn Westfall. Our director is Gabe Gross-Sable. I'm the host, RJ. We will see y'all live Saturday night. Deuces.